All right, we have been over the last seven and a half months, or a little over seven months, discussing knowing God. And not just knowing about God, but knowing God. And in that, each week I've tried to, to bring up the fact that the, the foundation of this whole series is Jesus' statement in John 17.3 and his high priestly prayer for his disciples, and that is, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And it, there's no more greater, crucial um, thing in life than this. I mean, I think that the chief desire of man or the chief need of man, not, not understand that we understand that the chief thing of Scripture is to glorify God, but for man, the chief need for man is to know that he has eternal life. And that's only going to come by knowing God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is no other path. There is no other way. And so I find this to be the most crucial thing. Now, that is using eternal life as a positional concept. But I believe that eternal life goes beyond, then, a positional concept. That it is a practical outwork in your life. That you can know God. And Jesus said that he came that you may have life and that you may have life or you may have joy abundantly. And so the idea is then that my eternal life goes beyond just knowing that when I die, I'm going to be with God forever. But that eternal life begins the moment I come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. John wrote in 1 John chapter 5 that these things write unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus said to Martha that he that believes in me and lives, he shall never die. Do you believe that? Believest all this. And the fact is that I know that you can't kill me. Does that make sense? I'm not going to die. You can stop my body from existing here on the earth. You can cause the tent and the shell that I live in to to be laid six feet under, but you can't kill me. I just live in this tent. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so, my eternal existence, my eternal life has already begun in Jesus Christ. I can have that so much more abundantly by growing in His grace and in His knowledge by knowing more and more about the God who has delivered me from my sin. Now, if that sounds foreign to you, I would challenge you to meditate upon God's Word and to to seek His face. Because God desires nothing more for you. Well, there's a whole lot more, but I think it all comprises within that fact of knowing Him, of loving Him. And so we have looked at, in this concept of knowing God, the exist, his existence and his exclusiveness, that he is God and that he alone is God. We have looked at the composition of God, that he is one God, the hero of Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, but yet he is comprised of three, and we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And then, as well, we looked at the attributes of God, and in that we have looked at his natural attributes, we looked at vocational attributes, and we've looked at the, the um, moral attributes. Last week we finished up looking at moral attributes by looking at the second part of the fervency of God. Today, I want to transition into a new, new facet, and that is the names of God. There is so much that we can learn about God, looking at how God has chosen to reveal himself to us in his word. Now, many of those names, okay, that you can kind of picture if you've done any kind of study, if you've done any kind of looking on this, many of the names that we, we think about, you know, the bright and morning star, the, the son of David, and all that, those really refer to who? Jesus. Okay, now I understand Jesus is God, okay, but specific to the second part of the Trinity. Okay, we're not talking about that yet here. Okay, today I want to begin this this part of the trek in looking at God proper, the Godhead proper. What has God? How has God revealed Himself to us from the beginning? Okay, and so we're going to look at that both first of all in the title that He's chosen, and then as well in His name. First of all, the title. He has chosen to um, 
clearly from the beginning that in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, he chose to use the Hebrew language to record his revelation to us. Now, I think this is important, okay? God's, it wasn't haphazard. It wasn't random. God specifically chose the language that he wanted his revelation recorded in. In the New Covenant, it's written in what? Greek. There's a reason for that, okay? There are, it's, there's a reason it's not written in English, okay? And there are shades that we don't see in English, and we'll get to that when we talk about Jesus and his deity and a little bit more about his person and that kind of stuff. And we talked about that a little bit last night with the victors, with the different words for form in the Greek, which you don't see in the English. You just see the word form. But it, there's so much more behind the scenes when we talk about it. But here in the Hebrew, God has chosen to use the word El. Eloah and Elohim. Okay? El is the primary word. That is the, the root word, if you would. Okay? There are many who believe that this word El actually derives from another Hebrew word, Ali, which means might or strength. I would debate that Ali actually comes from the word El. Because God is the picture of what? Might or strength. And so they just refer to it as just a, a, a piece of who he is. But regardless of whether they had this word and God derived from it or whether God came first and it derived from God, it doesn't really matter. I just think that clearly in the beginning, what? God. Right. And so, so since God was the first concept, that I think that this concept of might and strength has to come from God. But that's for another day and another battle, and it doesn't really matter. So, but we have El, Eloha, and Elohim, okay? And his name actually then means... Um, God, or, or, or strength, or might. Okay? Now, there are, throughout the Old Testament, intensifiers that are used toward his name as well. And uh, we, want to, we want to look at those words as well. Okay? And right now, I'm caught in a, in a quagmire, because when I look down, I see the consideration of God's fervency. That's not helping me. Let me borrow this first thing, buddy. Okay? All right. And so, we want to consider the intimations of his name. And the first one we're going to look at is, is the word El Shaddai. El Shaddai. And turn with me to Genesis 17, verse 1. Genesis 17, verse 1. It's probably back in... Okay, in Genesis 17.1, we see, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Thank you. So we're told right off the bat, in, in Genesis 17.1, when God was going to give this covenant to Abram, he refers to himself as El Shaddai. He is the Almighty God. And so God by itself, L by itself meant what? God, but might, strength. The word Shaddai actually means then almighty. So bringing it together with the, the term God, which already signifies might and strength, it means that he is really the, the truly almighty one, one that you cannot compare him to. Jump over to 28, verse 3. Genesis 28, verse 3. I'm going to start at verse 1 for the context here with um, Isaac blessing Jacob. And then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Baal, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples. Okay? And so... Isaac is now blessing Jacob. He says to Jacob, I want you to be what? I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to be a, a strong nation. And who am I going to call upon to do this? How should I? The God Almighty. The one who is able to accomplish all these things. You have other uh, passages um, on your sermon note sheet as well, 35.11, 48.3. But you'll see that predominantly these terms of El Shaddai refer 
basically to Adam, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That beyond those, the term El Shaddai is not used. But rather, we move on to a, a next term, and it's El Elyon. El Elyon is God Most High. The, the God Most High. And so turn with me to Genesis 14. Genesis 14. The uh, passage where we see Avram and Melchizedek coming together. And we see from Melchizedek, verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of El Elyon, the God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of El Elyon, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. So what do we know about El Elyon? He's the possessor of heaven and earth. That's right. And blessed be El Elyon, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. So generous, wasn't he? I mean, how much of those goods really were his anymore? None. He lost them in war, and then Abram got them in war. So really, who did they belong to? Abram at that point, okay? And so the king of Sodom saying, no, you just keep all that. You just give me the people, and you can keep all the other stuff, you know? But Abram, verse 22, Abram says to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to Yahweh, El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say what? I have made Avram rich. Why? What's he saying? God's doing that for me. That Yahweh, El Elyon, the God Most High, is the one that does that. Okay. So God is the possessor of what? Heavens and earth. So all this stuff that you think you're the possessor of, what? You don't own it anyway. It's God. God is the possessor of heavens and the earth. And so we've joked about this in the past, but my property that I think that I own, that really the, the government thinks that they own because just don't pay your taxes and they'll take it back from you, they don't even own who ultimately owns it. God. That's right. El Elyon, God Most High. He's the possessor of the heavens and earth. That's exactly right. Turn to Psalm, Psalm 47, verse 2. David uses the term... El Elyon, many times. Psalm 47, verse 2, we read, For El Elyon is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. Now, because of that, we're told in verse 1 to do what? Clap their hands and shout to God with a voice of triumph. Because of the fact that El Elyon, God Most High, is the possessor of the heavens and the earth, because he is the king over all the earth, you can rejoice. Why? What's it say? Verse 1. Why can I rejoice? With a shout of what? The voice of? So what does that mean? Victory. If I'm going to shout with a voice of triumph, that means that I've already what? I've won. And so I can rejoice in El Elyon. I can rejoice in El Shaddai. He is, the, he is God Almighty. He is, he, is, he is God Most High. Because He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the one who was in control of all things. And the victory already is secure. Now there are times, like David, that it doesn't seem that way, does it? Sometimes it feels like what? The enemies are winning. Okay? And so we read this morning about, about David with, with Goliath, right? And, and, and the, the, the army of Israel, they, they, they come together and they, 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 they stand against the Philistines. They're, they're pumped up. They're ready for the fight. They were. Until what? Until Goliath shows up. And how, how, how long was it that they were lined up? Now, this is important. I mean, Israel didn't run away. Forty days. Forty days. Think about it. They're lining up. Trench warfare without a trench, okay? Forty days, okay? Getting ready to take on the Philistines. In forty days, Goliath stands up in front of him and says what? Send out a man to fight me. Huh? 
Right, and so it's champion warfare. And what does what all the Israelite men do? Not me. I don't want to. Not me. Until along comes one little guy. Yeah, one little asparagus with experience. With experience, I know. But one little asparagus, right? Named Davy. And you like that, huh? Anyways, and and David comes along. But what does David have that all the warriors of Israel? Do not have. Say again. The lame of the Lord was high. What would you say? Faith in God. He knew El Elyon. He knew El Shaddai. He knew God Almighty. He knew the Most High God. He had seen the Most High God work. He had seen God Almighty active in his life. He knew that when he beat the bear, when he beat the lion, that it wasn't just his own strength. It wasn't his own prowess. It was the working of God in his life. And so now he comes into the middle of this war where he, he's expecting the, the men of valor of his own nation to take a stand for the name of God. And he recognizes that when the, Goliath says, I'm defying your armies, when David relates it, he says he's defying what? The armies of the living God. The armies of, you know what the difference Everybody else is thinking he's defying just an army. David sees it as he's defying the army of God, the living God. His his reproach is not just to you, men. His reproach is to your God. And that's where the war is at. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Listen. The battle that's going on right now in our courts isn't all about your liberties and all about your freedoms. It's all about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. It's all about the eternal word being able to be proclaimed. There's a spiritual war that's going on. And what Davy understood was that this war was not about flesh and blood, but it was about God and what he was going to accomplish. And so the reproach is returned. And the reproach now, through a little guy with a couple stones and a sling, holding on to a little stick, stands before Goliath, if you would, the representation of the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of Satan, of the other part of the spiritual war, the darkness side. And Goliath says what? Am I a dog that you reproach me like this? And David says, listen, you don't get it. You're coming after me with a sword and a shield. But these sticks and stones, they're meaningless. Because I'm coming to you in the name of God, in the name of the Lord. And he is going to hand you over to me this day. I'm going to cut off your head and feed it to the birds. David understood something that many of us don't understand. That who Elohim who El really is, who the God Most High is. He is the possessor of the heavens and the earth. He is the kings of all the world. Nations may rise, nations may fall. But God is the one who rules over all. And I ask myself, as I ask you, as we look at the turmoil of the world going on around us, who is God to you? Is he El Elyon? Is he El Shaddai? Is he the Almighty One? Is he the God Most High, who is the possessor of the heavens and the earth, who is the ruler and the king of all men? Now, this name is important as well, when we look at the importance of his title. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Because... In the beginning, 
God chose to reveal himself by a certain title. Interestingly enough, God did not choose to use the term El or Eloah, which are singular, but God chose to use the word Elohim, which is actually plural. And so when we refer to foreign gods or pagan gods, we refer to them as pagan Elohim, because they're gods. But God, when he chose to reveal himself to us in the beginning, he referred to himself as Elohim. So in the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And what are we told? The earth was what? Formless and and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters. Then Elohim said, let there be light. And there was light. And Elohim saw the light, that it was good. And Elohim divided the light from the darkness. And Elohim called the light day. In the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. And Elohim said, let there be firmament in the midst of the sky. Do you get it all the way through here? Every time you see the word God, it is the word gods. Gods. Elohim. 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 Why? Because of the importance of the intimation that he is about to bring. And that is of the triunity of who he is. That from the beginning... Though Yahweh was one, God has always been comprised of three parts. And so, drop down to verse 26, where God then says, Elohim says, Let us, plural, make man in our image according to our likeness, singular. Our image, singular. Our being plural, image being singular, are being plural, likeness being singular. Let them have dominion over the, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in what? No. His singular image. Elohim, plural, created man in his singular image. In the image of Elohim, plural, he, singular, created him. Male and female, he, singular, created them. Then Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, so on and so forth. Now drop down to, to verse 29. Then Elohim, plural, said what? I. I. If it was plural, plural, what would it say? We. But singular, I. Do you get the tension that's happening here? God chooses to use a plural term. Now, some would say that this is because of the majesty of God. That, you know, like the kings refer to us as our. You're in our presence. You know? And so there is the majestic concept of the king. The problem is that it continues on with in our what? In our image. And he uses this Elohim. The king, the king never refers to himself as what? Kings. He always refers to himself as what? The king singular. And if he's going to use the majestic plural, it would be we, it might be our, but he would not refer to himself as the kings. He would always be what? The king. But God refers to himself as what? God's. Or Elohim, showing a plurality. Um, we're going to see this a little bit later on as we get into his name, but just keep that in your mind that this is an intimation right from the beginning that God is more than just one, that there is a Godhead involved here that, that involves more than one. Let's move on to his name. His name, we are told, is what? You all know it. Read it up there, right? It's in Hebrew. Yahweh. Okay, good. You read Hebrew. Very good. No, we know that. It's Yahweh. Okay? We bring it into to English many times as Jehovah. Okay? But it is a tetragamagon. Okay? You can see it's four letters there, reading from the right to the left. It's Yod, He, Vav, He. Okay? And so there is no un- really, really written down, understood pronunciation of this. 
So some would say Yahweh, some would say Yahweh, some would bring it together with the, the letters, the, the, um, the vowel pointing from Adonai, and bring it in, make it into Yehovah, okay? So, whatever. It, it, it's, that's doesn't matter at this moment. I believe that it would be Yahweh, okay? But at this point, it doesn't matter, okay? We're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end, okay? But right now, it's Yahweh. Well, what does Yahweh mean? Yahweh is, a, is derived from the word Hayah, which is the, the Hebrew word um, to be, to exist, to become, okay? That just means that. Yahweh means the self-existing one, the one who is. It has the concept, then, of eternality in it, okay? Because he what? He is. I always like to ask people, I said, do you know what the greatest proof that God is, is? You are. Because if God isn't, you won't be. It's just a fact. Okay? We, we take it for granted. God is. And that is what he chose to call himself. When God chose to give himself a name, he chose to call himself Yahweh. Now, I mentioned this a little bit in Sunday school um, when we were talking about Sha'er Jashub, the, the son of Isaac. In, in our day today, names have become more meaningless. I just like it, and so I name it. But you know what? In biblical days, names were important. I was convicted about that after Jessica, so you can come up to me later and ask me what all the kids after Jessica's names mean, because they all have a purpose. There's a reason why I named them what, they na- what I named them. Okay? But names are important, and I want to encourage you that from this point, as you go up, just to think about it. Okay? Names can be potentially a source of testimony to people. Why did your parents name you that? Well... They just liked it. There was a starlet in the theaters at the time, and they just wanted to, to name, their, name me after her or name me after him or whatever. Isn't that an awful, awful kind of thing? But in, in the scriptures, names are important. They mean something. Okay, And so God, the same way, God could have called himself anything. He could have called himself Jack. So we serve our God, Jack. You know? Doesn't sound awful. But God chose, in the Hebrew, to use the name Yahweh. Now, interestingly, that word is never used apart from God. Because there is no other person or no other time when there is somebody who is what? Self-existing. Yeah, eternal. The one who is. Interesting. And so... His name means that. Let's, let's um, look in Isaiah 42.8 to where God declares his name. Isaiah 42.8, and then we'll go back to the Exodus passage that you were expecting me to go to. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I love Isaiah 40 through 48. It is, for those who are, haven't been here for a while, you haven't heard me say this, that's what I, I love to go from Isaiah 40 to 48 when I'm witnessing the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. Just, I would challenge you to spend time just meditating upon it, underlining passages of what Yahweh says about himself, and then understanding how those apply to Jesus. Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am Yahweh, that is my name. In my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. God declares, Yahweh declares, that his name is Yahweh. You know, one of the things that the Lord, turn back to Exodus 3 while I share this. One of the things the Lord um, really challenged me with years ago was uh, with that fact that names are important um, in naming my kids. But names are important. And so therefore, your name is important. And I hate it when I butcher somebody's name. Because your name's important. Someone says, ah, don't worry about it. No, I want to worry about it. Your name's important. You, know, you have a name. It's yours. And there's a reason for you to have it. And I want to remember your name, and I want to remember it properly. Sometimes it can drive me bonkers, and the person bonkers, when if they have a name that's just a little bit unique, you know, and I'm, and I'm trying to get it right. But, you know, if it's, if it's a foreign word, a foreign name, I could be calling them a pig when they're supposed to be a queen, you know, and then I want to make sure that I'm saying their name right. You know, it's, it's an important thing. And so, names are important. 
And so it's important for us to remember that in, in um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, we read, it says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now this is interesting, because he doesn't say Yahweh here. Most people think he says Yahweh here. He doesn't say Yahweh here. He explains what Yahweh means by using the terms Hayah. Okay, so what, is, uh, what does Yahweh mean? I am that I am. So tell him Hayah sent you. Tell him I am sent you. In other words, I am that I am. I am containing within my myself. Does that make sense? That is what the concept of Yahweh means. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, Now, he says, what? The Lord God. Yahweh Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name. How long? Forever. And this my memorial to what? All generations. I want to challenge you with, with this. What is God's name? It's not Jesus. Well, Jesus was on, on the earth. His name was Jesus. But God has declared that his name is Yahweh. How long? Forever. To all generations. And, and we'll see this when we go into talking about Jesus in a few weeks from now. But in Philippians chapter 2, we're told that let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form, the morphe of God, the very nature of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form or the schemati, the outward appearance of a man, and becoming in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him the name, giving him the name that is above Every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. I know it's his Lord, but there is no word for Yahweh in the, in the Greek. The closest would be ego ami. We'll talk about that when we come to Jesus. And we talk about Jesus being ego ami. But when the word Yahweh is being brought over from the Old Testament into the New Testament... Because of the, 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 the Jews, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, the Jews being afraid of misusing the name of Yahweh, they, instead of using the name Yahweh, or instead of saying God, they would say Adonai, which is Lord or Master, instead. And so that was carried over when the writing of the New Testament. And so every time Yahweh is referred to, they use the word Kyrios, which means Lord or Master. And so in John chapter 1, when, when they're talking, when the Pharisees are talking to, to to John the Baptist, and he said, well, who are you? And he says, I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of Yahweh, prepare ye the way of the Lord, that in the Greek, it says, prepare ye the way of Kyrios. Okay. But we know from the Hebrew, we know from Isaiah, that is, prepare ye the way of who? Yahweh. In Isaiah 45, you can go check me out on this one, Okay, I think it's 45, 46. Okay, anyways, Yahweh says that unto me every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Every tongue will take an oath. But we're told about Jesus then in Philippians chapter 2 that, un, that, that God highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name and that the, na the name of Jesus every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Do you get it? This is cool stuff. And so, Yahweh is his name. It always shall be. And what makes Jesus then ultimately glorified, he's God. We understand that. Hindsight 2020. Okay? But in the writing of that scriptures, the, the greatest thing that Paul could declare about him is that he is given the name Yahweh. And it's not thievery for him to have it. 
If I take something and it's not mine, what is it? It's thievery. It's stealing. But if I can take it, pick it up, and walk away with it, and it's not thievery, it's only because what? It was mine to begin with. Isn't that awesome? So, God refers to himself as, as, as Yahweh. And then turn back to Deuteronomy 6 then. Deuteronomy 6, I don't want to skip the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. If I was to ask you, you can't answer this if you know this question already, the most important passage in all the Bible, what would you say? Before I even said where we're going right now. Would you have said John 3, 16? Would you have said Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? So many people would say that, but you know what? I have it on good authority. The most important passage in all of Scripture is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. And even more detailed is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And I get that authority from Jesus. Because when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest passage of Scripture, or what is the greatest commandment, he didn't say, well, John 3.16. Oh, that's right, I haven't read, we haven't done that one yet. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And that comes from the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, whether you're sitting in a house, whether you're walking away, whether you're lying down, or whether you're sitting up. You shall put them as a sign upon your hands, as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, Eloheinu Adonai, Eloheinu Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And way back when we did the composition of God, we talked about that word echad. Does anybody remember what it means? It means one. But how does it mean one? It means one having, having components. So like talking about a cluster of grapes, it's one. And so even though it's one, it has parts. And so Yahweh, our God, Yahweh Elohim, Elohenu, Yahweh Elohenu, is Zichad. He's one. And because he is, you ought to what? Love him with all you got. Hide his words in your heart. Teach them to your kids. And model them in your lives. It's a pretty profound passage. It's no wonder why God chose that to be his, his favorite passage. Jesus was God, remember? So, I always think it was pretty cool. If God... If God was asked what was the most important passage, and God said this was the most important passage, that I should consider what? This is the most important passage. And so I base this upon with my kids. If my kids grow up, and they're riding on the back of a, uh, a garbage truck, but they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they're modeling his word in their lives, I've what? I've succeeded. But if they grow up to be rocket scientists or, or brain surgeons, and they're atheists, or, or agnostics, or despisers of God, I've what? I've failed. It's his name. It's what he chose. The one who is. The self-existing one. There are intensifiers of his name as well, like we saw intensifiers of his title. First we see the uh, word Yahweh Shabbat. Now, one thing I didn't share with the, um, this intensifiers up there with El. There are plenty of others that I didn't share. There's El or OE, the God who sees. You know, that was Hagar. Right, who called him the God who sees. There's El Gabor, the mighty God. We'll talk about that one from Isaiah 9, verse 6, in a month or so from now. Elohe, Elohim, the God of gods. Elohe, Chedem, God of beginnings. Um, Elohim, Kedashim, the holy God. El Chanat, the jealous God. We talked about that two weeks ago. Right. Well, the same way here, we have Yahweh, um, Yira. Uh, you refer to it as what? Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Um, we have Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. Yahweh Nisi. Yahweh our banner, Yahweh Mechadesh, Yahweh who makes holy, Yahweh Shalom, Yahweh our peace, Yahweh Sekenu, Yahweh our righteousness. Okay? So there's all these different intensifiers, but as I did with L, I used the two primary ones that are used. And so here we have Yahweh Sabaoth. Okay? Yahweh Sab- A lot of times we think of this as being Yahweh Sabbath. This must be the Lord of what? The Sabbath. This isn't that. The word Sabaoth actually means host. And host really refers to an army, a great gathering, okay, or even more specifically, 
to an army, or even then more specifically to a battle, or a great host of an army in a battle. Okay? And so, so God is referred to as the one who exists, the self-existing one, right, who is over all of the what? The hosts, the armed forces, right? And so turn with me to Numbers 31. Numbers 31. I want to give you a concept of what this word Sabaoth means. So next time you sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and, and we refer to him, Lord of, you know, the Lord of Sabaoth, you'll understand what you're singing about. And it's not the Lord of Sabbath. It says, Eliezer, the priest, said to the men of war. Guess who they are? That's a Sabaoth, who had gone out to the what? Sabaoth. So we have these men of Sabaoth going out to Sabaoth. This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Okay? And so the word Sabaoth has this idea of, of, a, of a battle and of a war. And again, in Numbers 32, 27, you can go there later. It's the word battle there as well. And again, you can do... If you don't have eSword yet, I haven't said this for a while, if you don't have eSword, it's free. You ought to have eSword on your computer. It's free. Download it. Go to eSword.net. Get it for free. Get a bunch of different Bible versions. You can have the King James Plus, which has all the Strong's numbers in it. You can do the Greek if you want with the, 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 the Strong's numbers. You can do the Hebrew as well. Okay, But if you don't know the Greek and the Hebrew, it doesn't really matter. You can use the Strong's numbers, and you can see what the Greek word is. And then you can do a search on all the Strong's numbers. So... H3607 or whatever, and you can find out all the places that Sabaoth actually occurs in the Old Testament. And then you can see it in King James English, but you can see it in the English. Okay? And you can see how it's translated. Okay? I challenge you to do that. Okay? We stand um, to be judged greater than, than people throughout history. Because to whom little is given, little is, is expected, right? But to whom much is given, much is required. That's exactly right. And so much has been given to us. Much is going to be required of us. I believe that. So you have, you have tools that are available to you. Please use them. But this Yahweh Sabaoth then, okay, it, it refers then to these, these ones. Um, in, you can go to these other passages later, but in Exodus chapter 6, 26, Exodus 12, 41, it refers to the hosts of Israel, okay, um, when they're coming out of, out of Egypt refers to all the, the hosts of Israel. And those hosts of Israel are referred to as the host of Yahweh. Okay, interesting. And then in 2 Kings 23 and Psalm 33, those hosts are referred to as the hosts of heaven. And so God is referred to, as we're going to be looking at this, as the Lord of hosts, as the, the hosts of Israel, of men, but also the hosts in, of heaven. Do you remember when we talked about him being God, and he was Elayon? And who was Elayon? God Most High, he was God Most High, what? Possessor of heavens and the earth. And where do the hosts of the earth domain? Where do they live? Dwell. On earth. And what about the hosts of heaven? In heaven. So he's the possessor of heaven and earth. It makes sense that he then is what? The God of the hosts of the heavens and the earth. Yeah, it's kind of cool stuff. Anyways, turn with me to 2 Kings 3, verse 14. In fact, I'm going to verse 13 for the context. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for Yahweh has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As Yahweh Sabaoth lives, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. The king of Israel, King Jehoram, is gathered together with the king of Syria and King Jehoshaphat of Judah. And he says, I need a word from Yahweh. Elisha says, you don't care anything about Yahweh. Go talk to your, your gods. Go talk to the prophets of your gods. And go to the, talk to the, the prophets of the gods of your wife. He says, no, you don't get it. But Yahweh has brought us together to be handed over into the king, into the king, right? 
this is amazing thing, stuff to me. This guy doesn't serve Yahweh, but what does he recognize? It's the judgment of Yahweh. That clearly, Yahweh, in giving judgment upon him, must be greater than who? All of his gods. Yeah, if his gods were so incredibly mighty, would they have? Would Yahweh be able to do anything? No. And so, push comes to shove, he wants the word from Yahweh, but he's not willing to do what? Serve him and turn from his false gods. Do you know anybody like people like that? When hard times come, they come to you because they want what? They want help. And they know they're going to get help from who? From God, from his word, right? But they're not willing to do what? Change their lives and serve him. They're going to go back to what they do. Isn't that amazing? Okay, now we picked on all the, the heathen and unbelievers. What about you? What about me? How often do I do that? Don't talk about me. All right, how often do you do that? Okay. <laughs> I can see everybody, oh, let's just count the ways. Bob, did this. no, no. But seriously, do we, don't we do that ourselves? I mean, in our own little way. Maybe it's not as magnified as, as the unregenerate, as the pagans, as the heathen. But in our own hearts, how many times is it that we doubt the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, that he is the possessor, again, of the heavens and the earth, that he rules over the armies of the world and in the heavens. When Jesus was born, and we're told there was the angelic, what, host that was there, it wasn't a choir. It was an army. It was the hosts of Yahweh. It was the army. They were there because there was a war going on. There wasn't celebration happening. They weren't there just to sing praises to the newborn king. No, we're told they said, glory to God in the highest and our peace, good world toward men. They were there because there was a war going on. Because the dragon was there to eat the child as soon as he was born. Revelation chapter 12. That's exactly right. There was a war happening. Satan wanted that child destroyed. He rose up here to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. And he had a third of heaven to assist him. That's exactly right. And is there any doubt in your mind that there was a concentration of his hordes for that moment? He knew when the fullness of time was. He, I mean, not the exact moment, but he knew the prophecies. It was all happening. There was a war happening in Bethlehem that day. Not the ones that we see in the news. It was in the spiritual realm. We don't think about it. It's going on today. But I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters in Jesus, that you serve the Lord of the hosts. And again, the victory is secure. It's his. He is the one who reigns over all things. Turn with me to Psalm 24, verse 10. I love Psalm 24. I love a lot of Psalms. Sorry to verse 7. It's in verse 10, but verse 7 says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Yahweh, strong and mighty. Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Yahweh Tzabioth. He is the King of glory. Now this is important. This is a prophecy that is yet to come. But is this a spiritual prophecy? Talk to me. What kind of prophecy is it? Is it something that's really going to happen physically on the earth or not? Yes! Thank you. Yes, it is! This is when Jesus is going to come back on his second the second coming of Christ, and he's going to enter into the eastern gates. The Muslims believe it. What did I say? Gates? Gate. The eastern gate. The Muslims believe this prophecy. Do you know how I know that? They poured concrete in it. And they, they put a, a cemetery outside of it. Because they thought that when Jesus would come back, the Messiah, he couldn't get there because it would make him unclean to go through the, the cemetery. But do you know what happens when Jesus walks into a cemetery, the dead rise. And do you think that a little bit of concrete 
is going to hold him back, especially when, when he touches the Mount of Olives. The earth splits in two. <laughs> I mean, the Muslims believe it. Isn't that something? But yet they don't what? They don't change. Just in case it's true, we're going to do all these things. <laughs> Incredible stuff. So, now, this is what's fun. This is what's really great here. Again, coming back to Jesus. Okay? What does Psalm 24? Psalm 24 says that this one who's going to come in, this king of glory is going to come in, he is who? Yahweh. Okay? And we'll talk about that even more. There's so much. Again, I, I told the, the, the victors last night, you know, Isaiah 40, 48. I mean, it's the basis of my faith. You know, if, if Jesus isn't Yahweh, I, I'm, I, I just quit being a believer. I'm not even going to become a Jew. I'm just Because the whole Bible is a lie. And I believe it from Isaiah 40 to 48. I'll throw in Psalm 24 with you, just for good measure, okay? Jesus is Yahweh. And not only is he Yahweh, look what it says. It's also Yahweh what? Sabaoth. Now, this is a key because I'm... I'm going to share with you. I mean, there's this Yahweh Elohim and Yahweh Sabaoth. We're going to talk about Yahweh Elohim in a moment, too. That in the book of Isaiah, there is a, a division as well that, that, that talks about the sovereign Yahweh sending Yahweh to the earth. And now the, the sovereign Yahweh and the Spirit have sent me. Yahweh says that. It's really kind of an interesting thing. There's the whole trinity is on Isaiah 48. It's an amazing stuff. You don't see it. Zechariah chapter 2, Yahweh talks about it as well, about, about Yahweh being sent. And so... People think Trinity is only a New Testament thing. It's, a, it's an Old Testament thing. It's all there in the prophets and even here with David. Okay, Fun stuff. So anyways, so you have Yahweh Sabaoth. He's the, he's the God of the hosts, of the armies. That's who Jesus is. And so when he comes back, we know from the book of Revelation, he's going to do what? He's going to lead the army. He's going to destroy the nations with what? The sword of his mouth. Just a word. It's going to be gone. Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim, remember what Elohim was? Elohim was his title. So now we have Yahweh Elohim, and so now we have the self-existing one who is God. I mean, now this is a, a, a supreme name of who Yahweh is, and it's, being, it's used so many times. Um, in fact, that Yahweh Sabaoth, I should tell you this, occurs 57 times by itself in, in the prophets, in Isaiah's book, in the book of Isaiah. There's only 66 chapters in Isaiah, and he uses Yahweh Sabaoth 57 times. Kind of fun stuff. Um, but Yahweh Elohim, from Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, and you can turn there and look at these later, okay? but for time I'm going to slide through this. But remember we saw Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 2-3, God refers to himself as Elohim. But beginning in Genesis 2, verse 4, after he gets done with the seven days of creation and he goes, starts to go back through it, now he refers to himself as Yahweh Elohim, all the way through chapter 3. Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Elohim. The Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Elohim. Why? I believe because Elohim is his title. When he was creating in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3, that's just his position. But what happens beginning in Genesis 2, verse 4? Huh? He creates Adam. He, he forms from the dust of the earth, man, and he, and he breathes into his nostrils the ruach of life. Ruach is the word not only for breath, but it's the word for spirit. So like in, in the Greek, we talk about the word pneumos. Pneumos, the Holy Spirit. The, the hagias pneumos is the Holy Spirit. But the word pneumos also means wind or breath as well. And so when Jesus is talking in John chapter 3 about the, you know, where the wind blows, but you don't know where the spirit goes, it's pneumos, pneumos. He's making a play on, you know, play on words. I mean, in the Greek, it's a play on word, but it comes back into the, the Hebrew as a play on word, too, the ruach, ruach. Okay? And so he breathes into the, the, his nostrils the, the ruach of life. A relationship begins in Genesis chapter 2. Do you get it? Yahweh is his name. Anna, what do you call me? Daddy. That's my title, huh? But what's my name? Look at me. What's my name? Yes, my last name. You usually do this right. Come on now. What's my name? What's my first name? Pastor Bob. <laughs> That's what everybody else calls you. Okay. Bob. I mean, so you can call me Pastor. That's a title. She calls me Daddy. But as friends, we call each other 
by our names. Do you get it? When God creates the chief of his creation, man, human beings, he begins to refer to himself as Yahweh. Yahweh Elohim. He's the God who is approachable. He's the God who has a name. He's the God who wants a relationship. This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you sent. God wants us from the beginning to know him. That's why he made us. He made us in his image. God is a spirit. He made us as a spirit being so we could have spiritual relationship with him. That's cool stuff. And he begins then to refer to himself as this. What's the importance of the name? Well, it's twofold. First of all, it is the direct representation of God. It is his name, Yahweh. That is what he wants to be referred to as. That's, that's who he is. I mean, Steve, Steve. I can't imagine Steve being Henry. I mean, just, well, maybe it could. It looks like a Henry. No. no. I mean, it's not a Henry. Steve. I mean, as a Bob, I appreciate what I'm getting ready to say. There are a lot of Roberts that I know. But they're not Roberts. Some are Roberts. Some are Robs. Some are Bobs. Some are Bobbies. Do you get what I'm saying? And when I look at them, I never think of them being Robert. The only one who ever refers to me as Robert was my parents when I was in trouble or my grandmother on my mother's side. And that was just her term of affection. She just wanted to call everybody by their formal name. Robert. And so I wasn't fearing when I heard Robert from her. But if I heard Robert from my mom or my dad, I was in trouble. Okay? Does it make sense? But I never think of people as, as that name. It's their name. The names are important. Yahweh is, is Yahweh. Does that make sense? That's what he wants to be referred to as. Now, it's also not to be what? Misused. That's a part of the ten words of the covenant. Number one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two is, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, whether in the heavens above, in the earth beneath, or in the waters below. And number three, you should not misuse the name of Yahweh, your God. For the Lord, for Yahweh, will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name. And there are other verses on your sermon note sheet talking about the misusing of his name. In fact, there's an illustration that I wanted to go to, but we don't have time right now. You can read it. It's the one that's a longer passage where a man curses God's name in the midst of an argument, in the midst of a fight. And he's killed for it. Capital punishment, stoning. The ones who heard him curse God, use God's name as a curse word, were the first ones to throw the stones. That's what God thinks of abusing his name. I do want to look at one, though. Turn with me to Proverbs, Proverbs 30, verse 7 to 9. And we'll end here. Proverbs 30, verse 7 and 9. This is a, uh, man, just a, another one of the prayers of mine that God laid on my heart many, many moons ago. It says, Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is Yahweh? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The writer of that proverb basically says, listen God, I want sufficiency. I want sufficiency. Because I'm afraid that if I have affluence, if I have too much affluency, then I'm going to what? Say again? think it's for myself, but I'm going to forget you. But notice what he says, specifically. He says, who is Yahweh? Lest I say, who is Yahweh? Now, I understand it comes from thinking I did it myself, forgetting who God is. Lest I say, 
Who is Yahweh? What am I really saying? I'm dissing God, using terminology today. I'm disrespecting God. I'm profaning his name. Because I think I did it myself. And I'm running him through the mud. Or, lest I don't have enough, and I go out and steal, and I dishonor your name. Now, how do I dishonor your name? Because everybody knows whose name I call by. Does anybody see, um, I don't know if you saw it, um, I don't remember where I got it, was it with Facebook or email, or maybe I just saw it on one of the Google things coming up on your homepage type stuff. But the, the girl down in um, Miami or Tampa or wherever it was who talked the guy out of robbing her because of Jesus, I'm going to tell you about my Jesus. Did you, did you watch the video? Did you guys watch the video? The guy claims to be a believer, claiming to be a Christian. I mean, he blesses her for wanting to tell him about Jesus. And she says, so why are you doing it? This is a, I mean, it's a perfect illustration of this passage. So why are you doing it? And he says, because I need the money. Don't you think God could do it? Maybe this is just the moment of test. I mean, there's probably other things going on in his life, you know, that brought him to this, but I don't want to go there. But what a perfect illustration. Unless I go, have to steal, and I abuse your name. Who is God to you? Who is he to you? Do you know him, or do you only know about him? That is such a crucial difference. If you only know facts, he's not yours. I know a lot about President Bush, but I don't know President Bush. Does that make sense? I know a lot. Not as much, but I know a lot about President Barack Obama. But I don't know Barack Obama. You may know a lot about the God of the universe. But the question is, do you know Yahweh Elohim? Do you know him? He wants you to. You can. How important is God to you? How important is his name to you? Does it bother you when people diss his name? Or do you use his name in vain? The, oh my gosh. The OMGs. Ah! I can't stand it when I see believers put an OMG on their texts. Do you know where oh my gosh comes from? It's a euphemism. Which means that I'm really saying oh my God. I just don't want to say it. So I'm saying oh my gosh. Now I'm not saying we've got to worry about going to the place where the, the Jews did and they were afraid of saying the word Yahweh or saying God and so they said Adonai instead. I mean God knows what they're thinking anyway, right? And so even Messianic Jews today, the ones who believe in Jesus, they put G hyphen D. Like, that doesn't mean God, no. <laughs> I think it's more of an abuse of what God's name is than, than the, the, the put G-O-D. I don't get it. I mean, I, I really don't get it. I don't mean that to be rude. I just, I don't get it. But as believers, of all people, that's like dissing my, my mom's own name. I mean, you, you, can, you can call down curses on my mom and I'm, we're going to get into a fight, right? I mean, that's how normal life is, right? But we do it their own. That's like me doing it to my own mom or my own dad. Or my own grandma. I mean, usually you do it to somebody else's, not your own. Why would we do it to our own God? I love calling people on account for it. You know, using Jesus' name and saying, don't, don't misuse it. Don't misuse his name like that. Oh, I'm calling on him. Really? Well, why don't we finish the prayer together? Well, uh, you're not. You're not calling on him. You're using his name in vain. You're not thinking about it. Using it in vain means you're not thinking about it. You're just saying it like a, a buzzword. God says, don't use, misuse my name. Don't use it in vain. God desires to have that intimate relationship with you that you would know him as Yahweh. What do you desire? Let's pray. Father.
I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us as Elohim, the true God. And you have told us that your name is Yahweh, the one who exists. God, I pray that you would help us to reverence you and your name. Amongst all the people of the earth, we should be the ones who do that. And Lord, help us to glorify it. Lord, help us to to be filled with songs of praise to you. You have said in the Psalms, praise ye the Lord, praise ye servants of the Lord, praise ye the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to the going down the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those who throughout the day, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, would praise you. For you are so worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen.